listening to episode 222 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Daigle. This week, I have an interview with Mike Parham, the creator of Sidekick. He's done a lot of really interesting work in making a open source library profitable. Uh, and just this week, he announced uh, on Twitter that he's reached a million dollars in revenue, which is really interesting for an open source project that has a for-profit component. So we talk a little bit about that this week later in the episode. So I wanted to first start by apologizing. Uh, The last episode was quite some time ago, and I uh, said at that time, yep, we're definitely going to be fine. We're going to do once a week an episode, but I've realized that as a solo host, uh, much to my hubris, doing something like that is probably more work than I can handle at this point. So uh, here is an episode. It's way late. I think shooting for a bi-weekly episode set of episodes is probably going to be the best bet for the podcast from here on out. Uh, So I apologize that when I initially uh, started with such high hopes of doing an episode every week, it just probably isn't going to be possible with my travel schedule. And so I'm going to work for every other week. We'll have a new episode out. Uh, With that being said, since we are going to be doing interviews and sort of co-hosts, if you have anyone that you'd like me to interview, uh, whoever that is in the dev community and the Rails community and the Ruby community, uh, feel free to hit me up. I'd love to hear your suggestions. I have a bunch of people lined up and I'm very interested in interviewing them. But if there's someone or something that's really timely that you'd love to hear more about, I'm happy to reach out to them and dig in and see what we can do. So uh, the best bet to make that happen is to tweet them to me uh, or make an introduction to me on Twitter or feel free to email me if you don't know them. I'm happy to talk to basically anyone uh, who would have something interesting to say. Uh, We can talk about that as we go. So email your suggestions to me. Um, You can find my email at kyledaigle.com or you can tweet at me at kdaigle on Twitter. Uh, Last week, I was in San Francisco visiting GitHub headquarters and also attending the first ever GraphQL Summit. So if you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know that I'm working on GraphQL in Ruby on Rails at GitHub using an open source gem by Robert Masalgo, uh, the GraphQL Ruby gem. It's been really interesting. And last week, I was able to go to the GraphQL Summit. Uh, which was in San Francisco, had 350 people attending. It was a very big group uh, for uh, the venue and got to hear about a lot of companies coming out of the woodwork and using GraphQL. So I'm excited about that. I think that, you know, we're going to see more and more opportunities for Ruby and Rails with GraphQL, just sort of like we've seen in the past with things like JSON API really becoming a big part of the Ruby on Rails ecosystem for Ember. I think GraphQL probably has a good chance of doing something like that as well. Um, Facebook was there, a bunch of other large companies were there, Condé Nast, uh, talking about how they use GraphQL primarily behind the scenes, not for uh, public APIs, but for private ones. Uh, Another person that was big and talking about that was Shopify. So Shopify now uses GraphQL for their uh, shop administration iPhone app. So if you own a shop, the app you would download to manage that is backed by GraphQL, which is pretty cool. So I think there'll be a ton more uh, there, but we're still sort of at the kind of the beginning. There's only really one real uh, library for GraphQL at the moment, and that's, you know, the GraphQL Ruby API. And so hopefully we can get a little bit more. uh, GitHub put a gem out called GraphQL Client, which helps do GraphQL on the server side, meaning if you want to consume GraphQL on the server instead of using a front end library, which is totally reasonable. 
that's out there too, but it's definitely something that I think the community is going to get a little bit better about uh, as things grow. It was very interesting. Definitely Google it. They're going to do another one in 2017 if you're interested uh, in going to conferences that have more than just Ruby on Rails. Uh, the GraphQL Summit was super interesting. I also want to give a shout out to Dev Bootcamp. Uh, they invited me to give a talk last week, and I gave a talk to the um, the Dev Bootcampers there talking about getting into programming and figuring out how to get your first gig and what to look for, what not to look for. Uh, I had a really great time talking to them. And since they've been a sponsor on the podcast before, it's a lot of fun when you get to go and meet the people that uh, that are actually behind this, the, the program and the people taking it. So uh, shout out to everyone in boot camps and especially the folks at Dev Bootcamp in San Francisco. This week's episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you in part by Braintree Payments. Why make payment integration more difficult than it has to be? Braintree's powerful full-stack payment platform allows you to accept nearly any type of payment from any advice with just one integration. It's flexible to your system's needs and supports most programming languages, so whether you're using Java, Ruby, or Python, you'll always have a range of server-side and client-side SDKs available. Braintree makes payments and your job a whole lot easier. To learn more, go to braintreepayments.com slash railspodcast. That's braintreepayments.com slash railspodcast. This week's episode is also sponsored in part by Hired.com. Searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. Sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. Uh, they make your job easier to find something that's actually what you want. Uh, it's stress-free. It puts you in front of uh, some of the best companies and keeps you in control. Uh, it's actually a really interesting platform. Uh, after you complete the one application, the employers basically have a four-week time frame that allows you uh, to get upfront information about salary and company culture so you only pursue the opportunities that you're actually interested in within that four-week uh, time frame. They also give you a dedicated talent advocate who will help you get through the process and make sure that you're putting your best foot forward. Uh, Hired uh, offers access to 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want is completely up to you. They help people find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. So if you're open to relocation, if you're not in those cities, uh, they'll help you out. The best part, it's always free for you to find your next job on hires, no exceptions. We pay you to get hired. Today's listeners can earn double our normal $1,000 hiring bonus by signing up at www.hired.com slash Ruby on Rails podcast. Again, that's www.hired.com slash Ruby on Rails podcast. That's right. Earn $2,000 for finding your next chapter on Hired. So thanks to Hired. All right. Next up, we have my interview with Mike Parham, the creator of Sidekick. All right, so Mike, you are a uh, not American football, but true 
football fan, right? <laughs> football, football. That's right. Football, football. Not That's hand egg. The, uh, <laughs> the European version. That's right. I've, I've, when we moved to Portland four years ago, I started, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to get into some sort of local sports just to have sort of a tribe to, you know, integrate into, so to speak. And, um, you know, I've, I've never really, I've never really enjoyed basketball. So I thought maybe I would, and the only other uh, professional sport that Portland has is, is soccer, major league soccer. So I started watching the Timbers, uh, the Portland Timbers, and uh, have, you know, the first, it, it took me a year or two to really sort of get into it. But uh, yeah, now I'm, I'm watching all the games and uh, diehard fan, you know, <laughs> such, yeah, such it, as it is. There seems to be a lot of Portlanders, though, like tech Portlanders who are really into it. Is there like a particular reason for that or just, I, I, you know, I, I can only speak to my own experience and, and why I enjoy it. But, uh, it, you know, another big part was that I was living in Northwest Portland and the stadiums in Northwest Portland. So oh, okay. you're literally uh, a mile from the stadium. Uh, so it's kind of hard to ignore all the bars and all the businesses around all have timbers, uh, insignias in the window. Um, everybody's wearing timber scarves or t-shirts. Um, so it's just, it's, uh, easy to fit in and easy to count yourself as, as a member of the um, tribe just by, yeah, just by enjoying the game and, and knowing a couple of the players names and being able to talk about, you know, the last game, it's it makes for an, an easy conversation that isn't, you know, how the weather's been, how the weather's been for the last week, you know? Which I imagine is not a particularly good conversation, generally speaking. <laughs> it's it's safe to just go with, oh man, that drizzle's been a little rough. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, thanks for joining me, Mike. Um, sure. I, I would love for you to kind of give a quick intro if people don't know of you, of your uh, your fame in the community. Sure. Uh, what, uh, what do you do, Mike? Yeah, what do I do? Um, so I four years ago, I created a little project called Sidekick to do... Uh, try and build a better background job system. And uh, I like to think that I've achieved that. And it turns out I accidentally started a business around it too um, that has been uh, pleasantly successful. So um, yeah, I essentially maintain this other uh, bit of big infrastructure that most Ruby on Rails sites have and, um, and make a living off of it, it turns out. So uh, I, I get to do a lot of open source work and I get to have a lot of fun conversations with customers to help them solve their problems. And it's very possible that a lot of people have used Sidekick just as an open source project. But what I've always found really interesting about Sidekick is the way you've structured the way you make money. You know, it's not a sort of normal. It, it, my, my impression is that it's not a sort of normal play where you write all this software, give it away for free and then charge Mondo books or Mondo bucks just for support. You've kind of structured it the licensing very specifically with uh, a very specific license and way you'd like that to work. And so I'd love for you to describe that and then maybe dig into, you know, how that's been working out for you. Sure. Uh, so it turns out when you're trying to sell development tools, developers don't buy support packages. Um, <laughs> and, and it's because developers tend to be somewhat technical, uh, so they don't need a lot of handholding. Um, so what I found works best is to sell some of the more complex features that aren't necessarily required by everybody, but are generally required by uh, larger users or corporate users or users that may need security or uh, high security or other sort of 
uncommon requirements. Um, by charging them money, uh, I can support everybody. And uh, it turns out that um, it seems to work out for most in, most people involved. I, I, I don't think my price is, is terribly high um, when you consider the price of Oracle or other sort of enterprise type software. Um, but the, the price is high enough to allow me to, uh, to make a good living and, uh, and support all my users and customers. Did you ever start doing the whole support package route or? I started by selling a, a non GNU license. Um, Sidekick has been LGPL essentially from day one. And I thought, oh, you know, there's probably a lot of corporations that would want to avoid the LGPL. So I sold a commercial variant license um, for some minimal fee. And I didn't get a lot of sales from it. Most of my sales from it were people just simply wanting to give me money because I had built something valuable to them. And so once once I realized that, um, I realized, okay, well, I need to give people a better excuse to give me money than just we want to buy, a, uh, we want to support you somehow. So I thought if I could sell feature packs instead, that uh, both both sides of the deal would be happy. Uh, they'd get additional features and, and I would get money. So uh, I switched from selling licenses to selling Sidekick Pro. And within you know, a, a month I had blown away my previous license uh, income. So the, the feature pack worked a lot more in terms of, of raw sales. <clears throat> and it's continued to grow year over year. And do you think that that's because of the actual features that are in it or sort of what you were saying? Because I can totally see the scenario where, you know, I'm using Sidekick professionally or in my business and I, I want to be on the right side. And so I pay you. But I can see how that conversation's a lot easier when there are more features, even if they're like hypothetically valuable to the company. Um, yeah. Anytime you're trying to sell something, you want to give people more excuses to buy it. Right. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. some a person may not want support, but they want this feature. Whereas another, another customer may not want to use any of the features at all. They just want the support. Um, for instance, Discourse, the forum software, is a Sidekick Pro customer. Now, because their system is completely open source, they can't use Sidekick Pro. But they maintain a Sidekick Pro subscription because they want to support me and because they want to know that Sidekick's going to be there years from now. Mm -hmm. And they want to be able to email at me on occasion uh, if they do have any issues. So uh, for them, the features don't matter at all. It's, it's more uh, having direct access to me and to know that I'll be around. That's awesome. And it's been around for what, four years now, did you say? <clears throat> I'm going on five years of Sidekick. Um, oh, wow. This is uh, the fourth. Uh, Sidekick Pro was introduced a little over four years ago now. Yeah. So uh, it's been a long time, but it's been a fun ride. I was going to say, that's a long time to have an open source project. Yeah. And there's no way I would have been able to sustain uh, my, you know, I'm, I'm still working on issues and PRs daily. And there's no way I would have been able to sustain that effort without some way of, uh, of compensating me for all that time and trouble. Uh, you know, whether that be financial or some other comp uh, compensation um, can vary, but uh, I there's no way I would have been able to sustain it. I don't, I don't see how people like, uh, uh, the guy who does Vim, the Vim editor, yeah. he, you know, mm -hmm. he accepts donations for orphans in Uganda. I don't, I don't see how he 
has sustained that project for 20 years on on pure pure uh, charity. That that's incredible to me, and and certainly my hats off to him. But I, I I just wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm always sort of uh I don't know astounded by every open source project as someone who's never had an open source project that reached any sort of uh, you know critical size or interest or fame. Just how I've got to imagine you're subjecting yourself to so much extra. I don't know. <laughs> everything so much extra internet uh the good and the bad i guess uh, yeah. that you know it's got to take a lot of it's got to take a toll on you especially you know if you have a family and, and other things going on for sure uh you know I, it's hard to justify time away from family just to support strangers on the internet as i like to say <laughs> but um you know I, my what i found is that there's 10 positive people who say nice things for every one that says something bad or or, or short with you, or, you know, uh, a little bit too pointed. But it's the ones that say bad things. It's the ones that whose comments are a little too sharp. Those are the ones that you go over in your brain the next night, all weekend. They're the ones that really kind of affect you. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we as humans, uh, I guess that's just a weakness or something. But I, I just find that mentally the the bad things that are said stick with me so much more than the good things. And so that makes it all really hard to deal with open source because, you know, one person having a, a bad day who says, who writes a comment to you really in a really sort of angry manner can really affect the next week of your life. Mm. Hmm. Now, over time, as the project matures, do you find that happens more often or less often? I've found that uh, people have been very, uh, very receptive to me. People have been very positive to me. I think people really appreciate the the life of the project and how it's been able to sustain itself. Um, some people, uh, some people do say, "Hey, your prices are too high. There's no way we can afford this." Um, you know. To that, I all, all I can say is it's eighty dollars a month. If you can't afford eighty dollars a month, then it, yeah. you're probably struggling to make any money at all. Right. Um, it's certainly a lot, lot cheaper than paying somebody to build a feature yeah. for a month. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, sometimes if there if there are people that are a little bit unhappy, it's generally mainly due to the money. It's you know, it oftentimes goes back to the money. I, I find that so interesting just like if you know uh, we, we talked about this so man years ago just around like the, the way you've approached it with the feature packs but also just the licensing you know and, and how that's been able to support the project um, and, and if if people are using your software to make money I do appreciate the fact that you know like there, there's there are cases where if you weren't working on this full time or, or you know at least close to it that the project probably wouldn't be nearly as successful and up to date and, and evolve as it has over the years right um, exactly you know so i'm curious what would you would you sort of recommend this model to someone you know that thinks they have a a novel solution in a library basis and put it out into the world in the same sort of pattern or if you were to start today <clears throat> with a new project would you do it differently well, I think you you touched upon it there very briefly. Um, every project and every framework and every library is gonna is gonna require a slightly different approach. <clears throat> um, some some libraries can't be broken down into 
um, layers like I've broken mine down into feature packs that I can sell for increasing amounts of money. Um, some, some open source projects, uh, you know, don't have the benefit of, um, an easy way to distribute code separately from the open source version. Um, you know, for instance, I came out with Sidekick for Crystal a couple months ago, the Crystal programming language, and I was never able to determine a way to distribute the commercial versions. Mm. So um, I don't know of a way of building a commercial layers on top of what I've built open source for Crystal. So, I mean, my approach has worked out really well for me. I would certainly... Um, endorse people taking a look at it and seeing if it would work for their situation, but everybody's going to be different. And, and so someone like, um, Nick, uh, Sutterer, the guy who does trailblazer, he's talked with me privately a little bit on, on how he can monetize his trailblazer framework and continue to sustain, sustain the project that way. And, and he doesn't have the luxury of being able to break it into feature packs either. So he's gone more the route of selling books selling uh, additional documentation, uh, selling access to a private Slack channel for support. So, uh, you know, people, when they want to create a project and they want to be able to sustain it, uh, you need to use your imagination and, and try different things and, and see what works for your project. And I'm curious, like, what is your pitch to the haters who are always like, you know, keep money out of open source? That was always been like a big question uh, that has come up in the podcast when we talk to people and, and no one really has a particularly solid answer that comes from experience. And so granted, not speaking for the entire open source community or anything like that, but given that you've been so successful in doing this both as a project and, uh, you know, personally, it is paying you money. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what do you say to people that kind of have that ideological argument with you? Well, okay. So there's a, there's a couple things to understand. Um, first of all, almost every feature that I sell commercially is available in an open source form of one, one or another. So Sidekick allows third-party plugins and all the features that I've written, they just plug into those APIs. They're not anything, they're not magical. They don't use any hidden APIs. So if you just want to use open source and you don't want to pay me a dime, you can spend days and weeks pulling down all these different open source libraries, integrating them all together, fixing any bugs that may occur due to the, their interoperating with each other. And then boom, now you've got a system that you don't pay any money for that solves your problem. What I find is that there's lots of customers who aren't that ideologically pure, who are willing to pay money to solve a problem. And the problem is they need all those additional features and they don't want to spend weeks or months developing it on their own. So open source is always a trade-off of, uh, of time versus money. If you if you have the time to build something and, and can open source it, you can do that. Otherwise, you can pay somebody else to solve the problem or you can pay me to solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always find that, uh, I don't know, you know, primarily working in a larger organization, stuff like this. I mean, it, granted, with there's more money to go around, so it's easier for me to say, you know, no, I definitely don't want to personally be building this for the next uh 
weeks or months or whatever and keep it up. Uh, and so I could totally see how the, you know, people would want to go with this, but it's always been interesting for me watching you be, you know, successful with sidekick and, uh, just seeing how that could be replicated. Like you were saying, either with docs or training or other things when the delivery mechanism itself or the software library itself can't just be what you're, um, you know, giving out. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned crystal. Yes. Uh, I am interested in that. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners maybe haven't really had a lot of time to dig in. Uh, so I'd love to hear your experience in moving Sidekick to Crystal. Sure. Um, I, I was thinking uh, six months ago about the future of Sidekick and the future of Ruby and sort of, you know, what's going to happen five years from now? Is Ruby still going to be around? Are there going to still be lots of customers? Is, is my business still going to be growing? So I thought, well, you know, maybe I should um, explore languages that may take off. Um, so I, I thought about, you know, where can I bring Sidekick, uh, or how, what, what ecosystems can I bring Sidekick to, to sort of ex- expand my business, to diversify, to lower the risk, long-term risk of my business. And so I, I you know, I, I toyed with the idea of, of JavaScript, Sidekick for JavaScript. I, I toyed with the idea of uh, writing it in Java or um, even Erlang. Uh, Elixir seems to be a very popular language right now. Uh, but in the end, I, I, I didn't feel like it, Sidekick was a great fit for any of those languages. Um, and I didn't have a ton of interest in working with some of them. I didn't feel that Sidekick used the right patterns for other languages. But then when I saw Crystal, I thought, well, this is awesome. I mean, Crystal tries to be somewhat close to Ruby, but yet it has this amazing performance uh, and static typing that really would be, uh, really push the boundaries of Sidekick's current design. Uh, so I thought this might be a fun experiment to play with for, for a month and see what happens. So I, I, I dove in and and sort of built the core of Sidekick in just a few days. I was amazed at how productive I was with it. Um, what I what I found there was a, a language that looks you know a, a little bit like Ruby if you squint, but it's got a a lot of really interesting features that Ruby doesn't have that sort of change the way you think about your code. Um, the biggest one is probably macros. So um, there are methods that you can call in your code that actually just expand into some other code at compile time. Uh, So this method that you write is not executing at runtime, it's actually executing at compile time to generate some other code. And it turns out that's how Crystal does all of its sort of dynamic uh, features is by using macros that expand at compile time. So at runtime, everything is, is very static, it does not change. Um, Crystal has no runtime dynamic features at all. And, and because of that, it, it's amazingly fast. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the language. It's uh, Sidekick for Crystal is like three times faster than the version for Ruby in terms of just uh, raw benchmarks. The, the, the basic benchmark that I wrote, uh, I, I wrote the same benchmark for Ruby and Crystal and it's about three times faster. So. It, you know, it really is, um, it does what it says on the tin. It's, it's amazingly fast. It looks a lot like Ruby. And, uh, and I do, you know, urge people to check it out. Uh, it, it'll uh, sort of twist your mind if you've never seen macros before. In 
I, I believe I've seen before that people will run like the actual sidekick workers in different languages than their like primary application is written in. Does that happen or am I just kind of making this up? Well, Sidekick itself is Ruby only. So you, your workers that are executing will be Ruby code. Mm-hmm. Now, I do have a lot of people that are creating jobs from other languages. So they'll create oh, okay. a job from PHP. They'll create a job from Node.js. But the actual job execution on in the Sidekick process is Ruby. So, is that one of the benefits of this possible of, of this uh, rewrite then? Well. Um, yeah, I mean, you. well, the the benefit of the rewrite is that the server side, the job execution would be X times faster if you were to run Sidekick for Crystal. Yeah. Um, you could still create jobs from Ruby that are then picked up by a Crystal process. Um, but but the only languages that Sidekick supports right now are, are Ruby and, and Crystal uh, for, in terms of worker execution. The, the thing that perform method that is executing when when a job is created that uh, needs to be either Ruby or Crystal. But you can still create a job because a job is just a little JSON hash. You can create a job from any language and just push it into Redis and then the sidekick process will will see that that job appear on the queue and and just execute it. And are you still, uh, uh, this is gonna be a loaded question but I'm gonna toss it over anyway. Uh, are you still uh, quote unquote pro Redis? Have you looked at any other backing solutions or is Redis yeah. uh, while you explore other languages just going to be the thing for you? Uh, well, this is a, a good question that people ask me, uh, you know, relatively frequently. Um, I've had people offer to pay me to port Sidekick to another data store um, <laughs> because they they don't like Redis or Redis is not doing what they need it to do. Um, but what I've already said from day one is that Sidekick is tied to Redis, uh, mm-hmm. for good or for bad, and and I'm still sticking with that. Um, I, I have a fact entry about this, but the reality is is that if I were to port Sidekick to work on a bunch of different data stores, then it's sort of a lowest common denominator now. I can't sure. count on any specific high performance features for a given data store because I need it to exist on all the other different data stores too. Mm-hmm. And then I need to document the caveats, the drawbacks, the performance, uh, the terrible performance edge cases that are in each of these data stores. Then I need to be able to support all of my customers that are using all these different data stores. And it turns out that it becomes a huge rat hole. So uh, I picked Redis when I started Sidekick for two reasons. One, because Rescue was already using Redis. Uh, but more importantly, uh, it had gotten critical mass within the Ruby community as a reasonable thing to run in production. People were okay with deploying it to production. Uh, if I used something like Mongo or something like RethinkDB or CockroachDB or all these sort of more esoteric data stores, uh, then I'd be swimming upstream, so to speak, and really um, putting a a barrier in front of people in terms of pushing Sidekick to production. So uh, Redis is, is one of those few things like MySQL, like Postgres, that people are pretty willing to uh, to just start using in production without too much concern. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, as, as you know, <laughs> uh, you know, GitHub still is on rescue and uses Redis for that. Um, mm-hmm. but it's been, uh, you know, I, I also the, one of the projects I've worked on at GitHub is still backed by Kestrel, um, you know, Twitter's queuing library that's, wow. uh, you know, frozen, I guess is what we can just call it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so I'm always kind of curious because I know there's been, you know, in some environments, there's just reasons why Redis isn't exactly great. Um, but but I can totally understand how for, uh, you know, mass market appeal, and like you said, it's a normal thing, um, why that would make sense. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, my uh, my phone line's open if you want to call me and talk say. about a uh, psychic enterprise <laughs> license for GitHub. Just, I know. It's like one of these days. It's just going to have to happen, I guess. <laughs> I... I, um, I I think my ultimate goal is to have um, the company that whose CEO wrote Rescue yeah. to uh, admit defeat <laughs> to, to pay me money to get rid of his code. <laughs> oh man! Well, oh, this week uh, the whole platform uh, crew uh, management crew is in Boston, and so I'm going to go downstairs and I'm just going to put my hand on the table and say, "This is when it happens." <laughs> I, I, I need you on my side, Kyle. Come on. Let's, I know. Let's I'm do sure this. we're breaking all kinds of laws right now. It's just totally quid pro quo, but whatever. Oh man. Um, hey, you know, I you scratch my back, Kyle. I'll scratch yours. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's walk some of this back now. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've been eyeing that new BMW, so uh, <laughs> just, just let me know what we need to do to make this happen. Oh, oh man. So, I mean, so you had this, uh, you know, you have Sidekick, you did uh, Inspector uh, for a bit. What What's sort of interesting you right now? I mean, are you doing anything either, you know, for for professional work, like money-wise, or just generally that you're, you know, interested in sort of like these problems that we're, we're at as Rails and Ruby sort of reaches this, you know, I don't know, a maturity, I guess we'll call it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, and I've tried to, uh, I've specifically tried to slow down uh, the number of releases I do. I've tried to be a lot more deliberate about um, changes that I make to the system because I'm very cognizant that as every month that goes by, I get more and more legacy compatibility more customers who are on versions that are six months, a year, two years old. Um, I had a customer who upgraded from Sidekick Pro to Sidekick Enterprise last week, and they they just did a bundle update Sidekick Pro, and they went from like version one point something from like three years ago to the latest version, which totally does not work and totally blew up their entire system. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I tell people, you know, upgrade one major version at a time. They went from one to version one to version three. Uh, and so I, I try to be a little slower about those major breaking changes so that uh, the vast majority of my customers can sort of stick with me if they upgrade every six months or so. Um, beyond that, there's not much I can do aside from document uh, the upgrade process. But mm-hmm. uh, going back to what you were saying, I've been trying to slow things down so that, uh, you know, as as Rails becomes stable, uh, Sidekick will also be considered a little more stable and uh, isn't churning as much. Uh, you know, three years ago, two years ago, I was releasing a lot more versions than I'm releasing than I'm releasing today. So uh, that's that's by design. Uh, what else? So what else has me interested? Yeah. Uh, well, right now I'm I'm playing a lot of Pokemon Go. 
Uh, so. so how many? So I don't know. Uh, dazzle me. How many Pokemon do you have? What's your rarest Pokemon? Uh, I think I have about a hundred out of the hundred and fifty that are out there. Oh my god! Um, I've got a, a friend in 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 the Bay Area who has a hundred and twenty or so. So he's doing pretty good. I'm trying to catch up, <coughs> but I've got a five year old, and um, this is like a huge way that he and I sort of interact and, and play together is, is, you know, we'll walk around town and we'll, we'll be constantly looking to see what, what Pokemon are around. He'll catch the Pokemon. He knows the names of all of them. <laughs> he, he knows how to uh, give away the ones that are weaker. He knows how to, he knows how to catch them. So uh, he and I have really sort of developed a rapport over this game. And so I find it fun. He finds it fun. So that, that's uh, everybody's, everybody wins there. <laughs> That's um, awesome. But we also we also moved uh, houses last month, so I've been I've been uh, packing, unpacking, doing all that for the last you know couple of months. So uh, unfortunately, I have the tech tech has taken a backseat in my life for the last couple of months. That's kind of interesting, though, because I mean uh, that's. Uh, I would I would assume that's made easier by the fact that you're running this business in a way that allows you to do that, right? Well, you know, that's one of the awesome things about right. what I'm doing is that uh, it's bringing in money every day where I'm not having to bill hours or something like that, right? Um, once you buy, it's a subscription. So you're paying for that constant maintenance of the product. But that doesn't mean I'm maintaining it today or I'm maintaining it tomorrow. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do something Thursday, right? Um, what's important to my customers is that it, things get done and that I'm relatively responsive to new versions of Ruby, new versions of Rails, trying to think about how to uh, to add more value to the product, so that uh, so they they get more value out of the product. Uh, but but you're absolutely right. I can I can take a day off. I can take a week off to pack to um to work with contractors on the house if they if we need something fixed you know it's it's plus i can take my my son to and from school every day since i don't have uh, you know particular hours that i have to be working so yeah i mean it's definitely uh given me a lot of freedom in terms of of my life and my lifestyle and the only thing uh correct me if i'm wrong but the only real thing that you have uh running like on servers would be the the private gem server for sidekick uh, that's right. I I have my my e-commerce aspect of my business is outsourced to Plasso and to Stripe, so they deal with the money. They deal with the subscription management. Um, I do respond to the uh, the hooks when a new customer is added, when a new customer churns out, uh, that will uh, add or remove access to the gem server. And the gem server is running twenty four seven, like you say. Uh, and I've done a lot of. Uh, uh, redundancy work a lot of I don't want to say chef because I'm not using chef but I I've got I've got some scripts to build servers and I I replace the servers every six months uh, to make sure that they're they're up to date and to make sure that I'm always on sort of a new a new VM that isn't uh, uh, gonna go bad over time or something like that mm-hmm. so yeah I've done some some DevOps work there um, as part of my business that's awesome. Yeah, I, I've always admired Sidekick's business model, and, and in so much that it makes you subscription money, but you are not beholden to a pager, generally speaking. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Except for that gem server, uh, which I, yeah. I do have monitoring on that. Um, but yeah, I've had 
I've had 100% uptime in the last six months. I had some downtime, I think, in January when the DigitalOcean uh, data center mm-hmm. went offline. Uh, but it wasn't my fault. It was the data center going offline. So, you know, knock on wood, let's hope uh, that 100% uptime for the last six months continues for another six months. Awesome. If uh, people want to learn more about you, Mike, or Sidekick, what's the best way to find you? Sidekick.org. That's, uh, that's where it all starts. And, uh, or the GitHub project page, the wiki has all sorts of documentation on the product and, um, and all the features and how to use them. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks for uh, coming on, Mike. Uh, how's the weather today in Portland? <laughs> uh, the rain has stopped today. It's been raining for three or four days now, and it's supposed to rain for three or four more days uh, starting tomorrow. But today is one of those rare sun peaking from behind the clouds days. All right. Well, it's still early where you are, so get outside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna head outside and start catching Pokemon right after we hang up. Awesome. <laughs> All right. See ya. All right. Bye. All I want to do now is go open source a project that's really important and actually helpful, and then charge for it. That, that was my takeaway from my conversation with Mike. Uh, thanks again, Mike. It was really great chatting with you. Uh, I have to go catch up on my Pokemon Go to keep up with Mike. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I'm hoping to have my next interview out in two weeks, which I think puts us near Thanksgiving. Uh, so I look forward to chatting with you then. Thanks again to our sponsors, Braintree and Hired.com for sponsoring the podcast this week. If you'd like to chat with me, I'd love to chat with you. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at KDaigle, or you can shoot me an email. If you haven't yet given a review of this podcast on iTunes, it would really help me out if you could go and leave a review. Let me know what you think, uh, what could be better, what's awesome already. It gets us uh, more listeners, which is super helpful. So uh, go leave a review on iTunes. Otherwise, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast. See you in two weeks.